I'm buying a house right now with using Homie, and they're giving me 50% of the uh, buyer agent real estate commission as a rebate towards my closing costs. Man, like that's that's real cash that I don't have to bring to the table, and that's a, for many uh, customers and and you know consumers out there. Um, that's a difference between buying a home and not. That's a difference between the American dream and not. Right. So um, those are are really really. I mean, those are huge savings. Twenty thousand dollars on average. Um, if not more. Did you clear your cash flow? You know, what's really cool, uh, or maybe just interesting to me is that, uh, you know, Silicon Valley tech companies, you know, like the kind of like the software movement over the last few decades have just disrupted industries sort of one at a time. And we saw it first with like retail and e-commerce in the late 90s and that big boom. And then, you know, we're seeing it ripple out to different things. You know, the mid 2000s, we have Uber and Airbnb and, you know, taxis and hotels getting disrupted. And it's interesting, you know, you have like Zillow and Trulia and these app, like these consumer apps, but you haven't really, I haven't seen like the realtor model get disrupted until like the last, you know, few years. It seems like it's starting to, uh, you know, really be like more of a thing. And uh, like, that's exactly yeah. what you guys are doing. You know, as I dig into what your what your business is, it's like, uh, kind of disrupting that traditional realtor model. And uh, I'm just really excited to learn more about it today. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly right. Thanks for having me. It means a lot for you to take some interest in homie and what we're building here. So yeah, appreciate it. I love the name, by the way, too. <laughs> it's one of the, the many favorite things uh, at the business that we love. Yeah, the name's pretty cool. Cool, cool. So yeah, I mean, I, I was looking at your LinkedIn, like you started out in sort of like investment banking, private equity, and then just like started this company. How did you? Uh, yeah. How did you get to that? Yeah, let me share um, sort of my story. And then I'll weave in the homie creation story. And I think, um, I think that'll kind of, you know, lay out what we're building, what we're building homie, we're at homie, we're super mission driven, I think sometimes even to a fault, even when a transaction doesn't go, you know, exactly smooth, mostly not because of us, if I'm being honest. <laughs> um, I need to be humble, right? Um, you know, we will pay for a couple of nights for a customer to stay at a hotel just to make it right, because we want to make sure that the customer experience, um, first and foremost, goes well, right? And buying and selling a home is super, super stressful, right? So, you know, at home, you were super mission-driven and, and hopefully by sharing my personal story, um, you know, everyone here and the listeners kind of figure out, okay, cool, that this is why, you know, we're building what we're building at Homie. So I grew up in uh, South Central LA, um, you know, immigrant parents, my mom moved here, just like many other folks, right? For the American dream, for education, um, you know, free markets and, um, it, it was, it's just been a, um, an amazing story kind of looking back at what my mom's been able to do. Unfortunately, when I was super young, my mom got divorced. She raised three kids all by herself, convinced my oldest cousin um, to co-sign for her first house post the divorce. Um, we unfortunately did not get the house. Grew up in South Central LA, a pretty rough neighborhood, uh, a couple blocks away from USC, if you're familiar with the area. Um, quickly found out that we couldn't afford the home. So uh, we lived in the garage for the better of two years, if you can believe that. No HVAC, no plumbing. Uh, we had to make a schedule in the mornings and in the evenings to use the facilities because, of course, the renters were using the front house. Uh, I was going to ask, you dogs. rented out the house. You still owned uh -huh. it. You rented out the house. And, yeah. and you, were, you were a kid staying in the garage? Yeah, that's right. I was about nine or 10 um, wow. when that happened. And um, yeah, you know, my mo my mother did everything to put us through, um, raised three kids all by herself. We'd wake up at 4.30 in the morning, 
do the uh, the LA Times news route. I'd get dropped off at 5.30 a.m. to go to the San Fernando Valley to go to junior high and high school, which was wonderful. Um, got me out of gangs and drugs and crimes and really opened up my mind to sort of what could be, uh, which was really, really, really wonderful. Uh, my mom was a seamstress. So, you know, after that, she'd, she'd take some garments, pick me up from the bus stop or I'd walk home from school. Um, you know, through that, we go to my aunt's um you know, wholesale produce shop and sell produce from the back of a 1991 pickup truck um, and kind of weave in through neighborhoods and selling, you know, mango juice and watermelon juice and fruits and vegetables. Um, you know, so at an early age, you just kind of knew about the hustle and the grind. Um, actually, my nickname at home is actually Hustle. Um, and that's where I kind of got my work ethic from her and sort of, um, you know, trying to be studious and take advantage of, of education and try to work with the mind, not just the back. Um and um, let's see, my mother got remarried um, and then we moved to Las Vegas. And that's really where the homey creation story comes from. So study your architecture at UNLV. I love architecture. The built environment is one of the biggest uh, passions. I thought I was going to you know, grow up to be an architect and go to college and, and uh, play football at USC down the street there. That was like my dream at, at a you know young age of 10 or 11. I was one of those geeky kids that had a vision board. Um, and I just knew that I, that's what I wanted to do. You know, and uh, and pursued architecture as I shared at UNLV. Uh, put myself through college by by waiting tables, which sounds fairly normal. The crazy thing is, I was waiting tables on the Las Vegas Strip, um, making over a hundred thousand dollars a year, which was crazy. So I'd wake up super early. Um, I was an intern at an architecture firm. In the afternoons, I'd go to college, and then in the evenings, I'd wait tables. You know, this is two thousand and four, two thousand and five, or so. Um, and then a couple crazy things started happening. You know. Uh, everyone, you know, at waiting tables got into the mortgage game or the real estate agent game, getting licensed is not the hardest thing to do. Um, there's a lot of really great real estate agents and loan officers, um, out there, you know, but from the masses perspective, you know, it's, it's not a hard profession to get into. Um, and then I got caught up in the subprime crisis, buying homes two at a time, stated income, no money down one year, two year arms. Just the dumbest and most irresponsible thing I was I was doing, and from my perspective, you know, I was doing it along with these. What year was that? Oh, so this was two thousand four, five, six, leading up to two thousand and nine and ten, right? We all know what happened in two thousand nine and ten, and I lost everything. Um, I literally lost everything. I moved back into my mother's house with about two hundred dollars in my pocket, just feeling defeated, and you know, um, and there were some some dark moments through that, you know. And then I woke up in the middle of the night with this epiphany, feeling like, gosh, I gotta, I gotta fix this problem. Like it's my problem to solve. And and honestly, I still feel the same way, even more so because I think, homie, and we're all, we're actually doing it. We're making a dent. I'm curious um, though on, on that last story. Like that's, uh, I don't want to skip over that. So when you yeah, yeah. kind of went through that, like that rise, and then you know fall uh with with the yeah. uh the, the housing crisis what what was happening there were you buying investment properties that you were yeah. illiquid in or what what exactly happened so so we would rent them right i'd buy one and then i'd move into it and that was great and then you know six or seven months later buy another one rent that one then buy into a you know bigger nicer better neighborhood and that happened for a couple of years you know and and that was great you know on paper it was worth a lot of money and you know at a tender age of what 21 or 22 um, I just felt like like we were winning at life. Like this is great, right? But fast up and then fast down, and then yeah. you know the market crashed. Especially in Las Vegas. You know, Las Vegas. Yeah, Las, Las Vegas, Vegas got, got nailed, really, right? Really, really hard. Yeah, and a lot of people lost their jobs, and then you know renters stopped paying their rent, and you end up trying to subsidize you know one month of rent, then two, then the mortgage, and then all of a sudden you just run out of money, you know, and that's unfortunately, and I lost my job. 
you know, the architecture industry and sector just got, you know, pretty much demolished, right? There's no construction, no, you know, no design work to be done. It ended up, you know, ensuing to the largest recession since the Great Depression. Um, so it fundamentally changed a bunch of things, right? So I had I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. So then, um, you know, looping in, you know, uh, on my LinkedIn profile there, I decided to go back to college because I needed to start all over again. Decided to study finance and economics. Um, and then I started my finance career as an investment banker. So did that for almost two years. You know, learned um, how to work, man. Learned how to grind. Worked 15, 16-hour days every single day. Um, so you, and you were grinding when you were selling it. the mangoes out of the truck? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was for sure. But I think as a kid, right, you're just like, you know, I was slightly embarrassed because it was just one of those things that like, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this. But just like ignorant to the fact right? That this is your, your life because you're just so young, you know? Um, but yeah. And, and I think, and yeah, I was probably grinding since, you know, since eight <laughs> um, for sure. And then, uh, but, you know, learn the language of business, learn the technical skill set around financial modeling and, and um, you know, doing transactions, understanding all the parties' motivations from, you know, the iBanking perspective or the target, you know, the investment opportunity, all those good things, which is wonderful. I, I loved it. And I, and I feel like I learned a lot. Um, and then I married um, the love of my life. I reconnected with my wife. And then um, I moved to Salt Lake City, which was which is great. I love Salt Lake City. And then I worked in venture capital for a couple of years. And that was another wonderful learning uh, experience for me, both personally and professionally. And, you know, learned about portfolio construction, um, how to raise a fund, help them raise a third fund, which was really wonderful understanding and interacting with LPs. It doesn't matter who you are, right? You The, the big, bad VC still has a boss and those are LPs. So that was really wonderful for me to learn. Um, you know, no matter, you know, what industry, someone always has a boss and that was really cool, you know, and then how to value businesses. We invested in, in enterprise software and consumer branded products. So that was really cool. Got to hang around with a lot of really smart entrepreneurs and smart people. Um, and it just kind of forces you to level up your game. Uh, and that was really cool. And then in the summer of 2014, you know, that idea to come back to to entrepreneurship and disrupt the real estate industry that I felt was like my personal calling. Um, I just couldn't shake it off, right? I just couldn't shake it off. You know, I started seeing Lyft and Uber and Airbnb being so disruptive and effectively marketplaces, right? Marrying hard assets like a car or a house with the mobile app and technology and trying to bridge those customer experiences together. I just couldn't shake it off, man. What I felt fundamentally is you know, the real estate model, I think, is backwards. You know, I think it's um, not on the side of the consumer. You have that broker split. You have franchise model. Um, um, you know, not generally speaking, not a lot of W-2 employees, if any. And then you have title and escrow and home insurance, home warranty, home inspection. I'll see if I can sound off more things. You know, uh, mortgage fees, points in the front, points in the back. You know, all these things that a, and an average consumer really doesn't know. Um but, you know, peeling back that onion, the fees, right, all those services in a traditional and average real estate transaction, you're pushing 12, 13, 14 percent, right? That's ripping away the hard-earned equity of the consumers, whether they're buyers or sellers, right? Those two uh, parties are paying for those fees. And I just felt like that was fundamentally wrong. And then, you know, not having everything under one roof where you can create a really well-branded experience from, you know, search to signature, and then from contract to close doesn't exist. Um, you know, things are populating that way now, but I feel like we're the pioneers on that piece. You know, we have Homey Title does all the closing services. We have Homey Loans does all the mortgage services. We have Homey Insurance as well. In addition to Homey Real Estate, what helps people buying and selling and then, you know, cupping everything under under one roof um, driven by technology. 
I think has been really, really cool to see. So that came together, you know, um, pitched a handful of investors, some entrepreneurs, was lucky enough to partner up um, with a couple guys. We came together, founded the business in Salt Lake City, and then um, launched it. I think it was March of 2016, and 18 months later became the number one brokerage in the state of Utah, which is really fun. And then, you know, as they say, the rest is history and it's been a grind, especially the last year. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Yeah, it's been a, a rapidly growing and changing, you know, real estate market, even, you know, we're, I guess we're kind of in recession now or whatever you call it. But uh, I still see, at least here in the Philly region, I still see houses are like, you know, going for, you know, they, they haven't really dropped much from their highs. You know, I think the growth, like that crazy hockey stick growth in home prices has stalled, yeah. but it seems like the prices are holding where, where they kind of stalled at the top. So, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. You know, I'm currently buying a home and of course using homey. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been buying and selling real estate for two decades and, and what's going on in this cycle is a little bit interesting, right? We have high interest rates still half as high as when our parents bought homes, right? 16, 12, 18% or what have you some time ago, of course, you know, home prices were different then but you have so much demand on the sideline, right? And then you have your first time home buyer, every time interest rates go up, just more of those get sidelined and sidelined and sidelines. But yet, you know, HPA home price appreciation still kind of kind of up there, right? It's slowed down, it's softened up a bit, especially here in Salt Lake City, you know, roughly 15% since May uh, to last month. But you know, I'm buying a house and there's four offers. One of them was higher than list price. Luckily, we 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 won because you know our real estate agent is awesome, um, and but it's just so it feels almost like a hot market, but yet you take a step back and it's kind of like not. But then you lean in and it kind of is. So it's 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 a really interesting dynamic that's happening right now. Um, but you know, I think we'll start getting into a more normal market. You know, after a quarter or two, you know, summer and spring will kick in and there'll be a lot more demand as well. Yeah. Yeah. How how big are you guys? Like, is it, you know, in terms of like headcount or, you know, some metric to quantify? Yeah. So we're in five markets. Um, we have 130 employees, um, which is great. Um, we're a little bit larger this time last year. So there has been some sort of reshaping as the market you know does its thing and the macroeconomic environment is uh, those headwinds have come up. But I think those I think kind of, you know, the, the worst is behind us. But yeah, in terms of headcount, we're about 130, 130 homies. Cool. What's uh? So I, I love that uh, homies, <laughs> <laughs> like the the Googlers thing. That's cool. Um, yours is way cooler though. <laughs> I'm biased. I agree, but yeah. <laughs> uh, you got gotta get like sideways hats or something. Oh, they're in here somewhere. <laughs> we got some swag. <laughs> uh, so um, what what what's your prediction? I, you know, there's so many people talking about the real estate market, especially yeah. you know commercial real estate. That there's this huge, you know bubble that's about to burst in commercial real estate in the future. And then, yeah. you know, the, uh, there's like obviously housing shortages for, uh, yeah. you know, for, for the, the size population we have, it's interesting to me in Philly here, like we've got these, you know, condo buildings going up left and right. And they're like multi-million dollar condos. I have no idea who's buying them, but there still seems to be this like crazy shortage here of uh, real estate. So like, what's your prediction? Where do you see all this yeah. going? the future man i love speculating on this stuff and i think that that's it's probably one of my fun parts of the job just trying to forecast what the future is because obviously we have to be prepared for it staff accordingly make sure we're capitalized 
take advantage advantage of those things. Um, and if they don't happen, right, how do you kind of pivot and maneuver around those things? So, um, so I think the Fed's going to continue to rise interest rates, uh, to raise interest rates. I think um, you speak to anyone, I think that's kind of general consensus. How fast they go, um, I think is kind of up for debate because they're obviously looking at economic indicators, right? Technically, we're not in a recession, which is really crazy, right? Things have softened up a little bit. Inflation is starting to soften up. But if you look at the sheer demand of of potential buyers in the market, I think we need something like 3 million homes, 3 million single family homes across the nation to kind of meet some of that demand or at least be in somewhat of a normal market, normal market being three to four months of supply. So if you take a snapshot of pretty much any market here, it's a normal market, right? You have X amount of listings that are active, but you compare that to last year, you know, you're you're 1,700 listings at the end of January here in Salt Lake in 2022. You're 7,500 now. You know, 9,000 is sort of normal for that market. But you think about that delta, it's crazy, right? And now days on market are going to shrink a little bit more. Um, as long as interest rates stabilize, even if they're 7.2%, 7.5%, which is fairly high for what we've been used to, you know, 12 months ago when there were you know, three sub three, um, I think the market just wants um, normalization in interest rates, right? And then that demand will slowly come in or slowly come in. Whatever goes up must come down. Whatever goes down must come up, right? We saw that with interest rates and then the inverse in home pricing, which is now sort of starting to happen. Um, and then in two years, guess what? Interest rates are going to probably drop again, right? So, you know, what we like to say here is marry the house, not the interest rate, because six, 12, 18 months from now, that that can be, you know, that can be adjusted, right? Um, I think the Fed will probably overcorrect, you know, in a quarter or two, and then and then they're going to, you know, start declining and interest rates are going to fall because you you hurt demand too much, right? And it's kind of this balance that's so hard. They have a huge, I would not want to be in their shoes, <laughs> You know, all the Fed presidents like that's a tough job, you know, and highly criticized as well. Um, and then I think we'll see probably year over year on average, you know, somewhere around a five to 10 percent decline in transactions just because of those interest rates, you know, continue to rise. But not too bad. Right. Yeah. Interesting. What's his name? Uh, the chairman of the Fed. Uh, Jay Powell. Jay, yeah. Jerome Powell. Jay yeah. Powell. He said uh, he says that they're. Name. What's that? That's, that's his homie name, Jay Powell. Oh, Jay Powell. <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, he said uh, he came out and said that he was going to do like two more quarter point hikes. And then like a week later, walked that back and said, all right, maybe we're going to overcorrect and, you know, see where that see what happens with that. And, uh, you know, it's 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 uh, it seems to be affecting the growth companies most like anyone trying to raise a BC round, anybody, you know, uh, tech stocks public public tech stocks that are you know high price to sales ratios like these companies had you know 30 40 times sales multiples in the public markets and it's you know they're getting crushed i mean you know look at like teladoc was trading at like 250 a share and now it's i don't know like 30 a share or whatever it is and uh and i guess it's just because uh with like the you know there's safe like bonds you know treasury bonds people are just kind of waiting to see what happens and uh you know the, the same you know the, the housing market it's all kind of like interconnected and from an economist point of view it's hard to pull it all apart and figure out like you know it it's uh it's like you know making a you know ma making a, a a meal like you put a little salt in it, it brings out all the other flavors yeah. but it's you know yeah, it's hard right. to know how it all like inter 
interconnects, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, baking chocolate chip cookies has salt in it, right? And it brings out exactly what you said. This is going to make me sound super silly, but like I, I found that out like maybe a year ago. I've never baked cookies from scratch, but like salt, <laughs> there's salt in, you know, in chocolate chip cookies. And I think you're right. There's these sort of things that kind of play in. You think about unemployment rate, right? Three and a half percent, three point four percent. I mean, that's lowest in forty or something odd years. And then you see the headlines, right? Google, Facebook, Amazon laying off XYZ, Microsoft, and you're and you're just thinking, wow, something really bad's gonna happen. And then next quarter you see GDP kind of go up a little bit, or you see inflation drop but just a little bit where the forecast was maybe twenty-five to fifty basis points, right? And then there's this, there's just so much reaction. Uh, reaction. I think the worst thing that can happen is sort of stagnation, right? It's like when the market, specifically with real estate, right, sellers start getting you know locked out of um, selling because they have a sub three percent interest rate, right? So if they want to sell that, um, then you know most of those have to buy. Are they going to buy at a you know seven and a half eight percent interest rate? Some of those may just say, "Hey, I'm just going to wait this out six, nine, twelve months," um, and I would, I would just hate for that that to happen. But no matter what economic cycle we're in, um, you know, real estate it just goes like this, right? It's a bell curve. There's Q1, which you know is generally slow, but starts picking up on under contracts. Then you have Q2 and Q3, which is hot, and then you have four, you know, Q4 things cool. Every year, no matter what market, no matter what weather does. You know, no matter what year, it's just that bell curve that's pretty predictable. What isn't is obviously volume, right? That'll fluctuate up and down. What? Uh, what I, yeah, I've heard that before. Like the spring and the summer markets are hottest. What causes yeah. the bell curve? Uh, you know, do you know what affects that? I, it, it's just it's pretty general, but you know, school, right? You have kids out of school that in the spring. You know, no one really likes to move kids around. That's one big driver. Uh, major events, right? Uh, if people get divorced or if people um, are moving jobs, you know those big things. Um, but I think mostly it's you know weather and then the season of schools. That's what I would say. Yeah, that makes sense. The kids thing. Uh, so, uh, but you're saying like the volume though. It's always the same bell curve, but the volume. Right. Yeah, you know, that's what changes. Just, might be like 10x during a hot market versus, you know, maybe now it's slowing down because the the interest rates are high. Yeah, um, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and so, nothing ever goes to zero, which is crazy, even during COVID, right? In some of the hot spots like Seattle and New York, you know, and, and some of the, the heaviest months where things were really locked out, I think transactions fell 50 to 60%, you know, in some of those markets, you would think that they would go directly to zero, Right. But even under those crazy black swan type of events and circumstances, you know, nothing really goes to zero that fast. And even in the sort of Great Recession in you know, your Phoenix areas, your Las Vegas, I think the drop was somewhere around 35 percent, if I remember the data correctly. Again, crazy black swan event, you know, didn't go to zero, didn't even go to 50 percent. You know, so, you know, real estate is pretty predictable. Again, it's just sort of the volume, you know, is it going to be higher? Is it going to be a little bit lower? Interesting. I had uh, I maybe you know I'm in the same industry as you. Uh, Jesse Burrell came on the on the podcast uh, like maybe eight or ten episodes ago, and uh, he's in he's in Phoenix. He used to do uh, flipping like like what you did, yeah. And he ended up building a bunch of SaaS software for like basically uh, mining data from municipal like municipal data and tax data to figure out how to get you know, like really good ahead purchases. You know, like basically yeah, yeah. finding shells or finding land or like buying rehab properties 
and his his SaaS business ended up like his software ended up taking off. He's got like a 300 person SaaS business now selling this wow. uh this like da- like this this uh, property acquisition data platform. Uh but it's uh I mean I have to imagine like his flipping business probably got like hammered during, you know, that that great recession period uh in Phoenix. That was like one of the hardest hit areas in the country. Oh yeah, it's tough, man. You know, it's 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 really hard because there's opportunity and everything, right? In almost every circumstance, this is the sort of entrepreneur in me, right? Glass half full, <laughs> kind of super optimistic kind of guy, right? But like, I mean, there's opportunity, right? That's where this whole single family rental institutionalization started happening, right? Your invitation homes of the world, your mega homes for rent. I think it was Warren Buffett that said, if if you know, if I had some cash, I would go buy up a bunch of these single family homes and turn them into horizontal apartments, right? And then everyone started doing it. Um, and there's opportunity, right? Because then you start buying these homes that were trading at, you know, call it a hundred bucks a year ago. You can buy them for 15, 25, 30 cents on the dollar, you know, rent them out. And then all of a sudden you have this wonderful portfolio and, you know, real estate is tried and true. There's cycles for sure. They kind of last a decade at a time, generally speaking. Um, but yeah, Phoenix got hit really hard. Lots of big, the whole Sun Belt, right? Got hit yeah. super hard. How big can Homie get? Like, is this a multi-billion dollar company or how far are you going to take this? Thing? <laughs> um, you know, for me, I'm all in on Homie. My wife and I, we will do everything to make sure that Homie survives. You know, we're all in on on Homie. I think that the opportunity is really, really large, right? I think if you look at, um, you know, some of the public comps, even you know Redfin, for example, I think they barely hit about a 1% national market share. At some point in time, that business is worth four or five billion dollars, right? And, Does Redfin you know, they, do what you guys do? I would say they do some things. I, I wouldn't say they do them as good as we do, but they obviously have more scale. They've been around for almost two decades. Um, I always thought of Redfin as like a search app, like a consumer app. Um, do they have a different business behind them? Um, no, you you can actually buy a home with real, with um, Redfin agents. Um, you can't do that with Zillow, right? You can only search, and they kind of match you up with an agent. Um, you know, but the search is such a big part of the process for buyers, right? And, and most buyers actually end up finding the home themselves before they contact the real estate agent. Um, you know, but I think I think our model can scale. I think our model can work. We've learned a lot over the last 18 months, you know, especially and specifically where um, it forces you to kind of focus on what's core, what's essential, kind of ignore the noise and ignore everything else. Um, and then just start driving for better unit economics because they can drive profitability, you know, overall. So, you know, there's probably 150 large metro areas across um, the U.S. that I think our business model can work. And, man, if we can use some of the comp sets, you know, a year or two ago, you know, you don't have to have 1% market share to be a billion-dollar business. Um, I think our unit economics are super solid. Gross profit margins are probably better um, than any of the competitors out there because we attach so well across all of our ancillary products like loans and title and insurance onto the real estate side, whether a customer is buying and selling, and that really, really drives a lot of efficiency. Um, and that's what we're focusing on. So man, I think it could be a trillion dollar business, quite honestly. <laughs> you know, there's there's so much opportunity in real estate. I mean, it's what, 16% of GDP? That's huge, man. That's huge. Put it on the record so, right here, right now. So uh... <laughs> boom, um, 3, 3, 2023 there you at go. 11, 33. We'll come back in like 20 years and, uh, you know, check the, uh, <laughs> well, you'll, you'll be public by then, I'm sure. So we'll, we'll, we'll check the stock price. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, man, that's, that would be an amazing outcome for all of our employees and shareholders. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I've used Redfin before, just like searching. I've clicked around on your stuff before, uh, 
you know, before we hopped on here today, I think you've got a better UX. Uh, I, I can't man. say, uh, you know, what goes on under the hood, uh, but like, I think your UX is better, more modern. So, uh, you know, already right there, just on like the quality of the consumer side of the product, I think you guys could, you know, probably do a better job in, in the, you know, in the market than them. Uh, so what, it, it's interesting to like wrap up all this stuff. Cause I, I just, I sold a house, uh, my wife and I live in the city. Uh, we tried the suburbs for a year during the uh, COVID period because Philly got like really, it was not good being in a in a condo building here during the, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially the first year of the pandemic. So uh, we bought a house, moved out to the suburbs, realized we're not suburbs people. So we sold, <laughs> sold it and moved back. Uh, I don't know why I didn't use like Homey or, you know, one of, one of the more modern real estate transaction services. But, uh, you know, I ended up going with a traditional realtor route and yeah the fees are insane paid a crap load in fees fortunately we uh, we got wrapped up in the heat of the market but then sold like right at the top in february 2022 so we like yeah. i think broke even on the deal which was great uh yeah having only been in the house for a year uh but yeah it's like there's so many pieces like the you, know, you mentioned the title insurance and the mortgage broker and the you know the property insurance and the real all the you know contracts like you know i'm flipping through the stuff the realtor's just like sign here flip sign here flip. yeah i'm like you know barely i'm looking at like the title on the top of the document before i even sign it i didn't even read the thing and That's right. uh so how how do you guys simplify that process for your customers are they still signing these like 100 page packets of documents and uh how do you like simplify it by consolidating all of these different businesses into a single uh you know kind of umbrella yeah i i think having one brand right the homey brand homey real estate you have home title home insurance home loans um communication around education is key right generally speaking our demographics, you know, highly educated. Um, they love to do things on their own, but research, get up to speed. You know, most of our customers have bought or sold at least one home before. So they understand exactly what you just described. What is all this crap? The fees are so high. Okay, I feel more comfortable now because of that experience. Um, but what starts with education and hiring wonderful employees, all of our um, Professionals are W two employees. They're not ten ninety nine contractors. They're one hundred percent professionals, all in on their on their industry, on homey, and that's what they do day in and day out. I think having that um, really provides you know subject matter experts, you know experience, expertise, where they they're sort of like your you know your Sherpa. And there's a lot of really great traditional real estate agents out there, by the way. Um, but I think you know your average real estate agent unfortunately only does three to four transactions a year, right? Ours do somewhere between four and six, four and 10 a month. Um, so you get a lot of at-bats, you get a lot of um, experience that happens and you share that, right? And then the communication flow and stream with the escrow officer. But half officer. of being a realtor is like being a salesperson, like you're out grinding for leads. And, <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah. I guess you're, the difference is like, you're not making your realtors a salesperson, you're making your realtors a customer service person. And then you've got like, you know, traditional tech, like you probably do like paid search and SEO and like all the tech, you know, playbook to get the leads in. And, uh, and then you're just on this, on the realtor side, you're just focused on the customer experience to get the deal done. Yeah, that's right. And the transaction, right? So by having real estate agents that don't have to knock doors, um, you know, some of them like to, because they have a sphere of influence and they want to build their book of business, which is great, you know, but we have a really great marketing team and our head of marketing, she's amazing. 
Um, and when you have a brand, you rely on that brand to drive in customers, right? And leads, and then ultimately have a process where they turn into, into really, really, you know, happy homies, we like to say. Um, and it makes it a lot <laughs> I love that, efficient. man. There's so many plays on words here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> man, how much time do you have? Um, and, and, um, but that's what makes um, the real estate agent more efficient. Um, and then that's also what drives costs down, right? Which is really important for us because the number one reasons why why the number one reason why people use homey is savings. And that's on purpose, by the way, because we fundamentally believe that, you know, buying and selling a home shouldn't cost you 6%. That is so much money, right? Where 90% of the transaction um, is, is rinse and repeat, regardless of the price of the home. You know, of course there's bookends, right? There's the super, you know, non-expensive one and there's super ultra mega expensive homes, you know, and that's not what we're going after, but we are going after the 80% middle of the fairway um transactions and homes where they're pretty predictable you know there's a lot of data out there they're newer homes etc um and it just facilitates the whole transaction and then again having you know w2 employees that are only working at homey and they're professionals right we are professionalizing the industry from our perspective nice how much on average do you get the fees down from a, a typical real estate transaction yeah so on the sell side we charge you thirty five hundred dollars flat fee regardless of price of the home and the reason why is because there's um, there's quite a bit less of work to be done on the sell side, right? Customer acquisition side um, to the side. Um, but as a real estate agent or a listing agent, you're taking in offers, right? You're not the ones drafting in. So the work, that burden at least is offset by the buy side real estate agent. So that's just the um, real estate commission, the $3,500 essentially. Yeah, on the sell still side. Have, you still have yeah, all the, the other stuff side. like the transfer tax and all that stuff. That's right. We can't control that, right? Because that's controlled at the state level and different states have different um, transfer tax, if if any. Um, you know, traditionally it's three percent. You know, to sell your home of the six percent, so fifty fifty of the six percent, three percent to the listing agent, and then three percent to the buyer agent. On the buy side, we give you back fifty percent of that buyer agent commission. Fifty percent, right? You get to use those proceeds to cover all of your closing costs, right? At the beginning of the podcast, we started naming off all these things, right? You know, I'm buying a house right now with using Homey, and they're giving me 50% of the uh, buyer agent real estate commission as a rebate towards my closing costs. Man, like that's that's real cash that I don't have to bring to the table, and that's a, for many uh, customers and and you know consumers out there. Um, that's a difference between buying a home and not. That's a difference between the American dream and not. Right. So um, those are are really really. I mean, those are huge savings. Twenty thousand dollars on average. Um, if not more. And then obviously the title and escrow fees, you know, those industries are pretty crazy. They're regulated at the state level. So you have to charge a minimum. You can't charge anything less, which is super interesting to me um, on the, you know, title insurance side. And then you have, you know, home insurance, and then you have the loan fees on the loan fees. We're a low cost leader there. You know, we don't charge the four or 5%, 6% that a lot of mortgage uh, banks charge because we just don't have that overhead, right? We're a lot more efficient. Cool, cool. Um, so like you personally, you talked about kind of your finance backgrounds uh, coming out of the VC world. Uh, do you like to get into anything, you know, detail level? Like, do you like to get into the product or the code or <laughs> design or marketing or like, where, where do you like to tinker yeah. outside of finance? I think I think all my team, the leadership team, would probably say too much tinkering, right? I mean, I don't know how to code, and that I mean, I don't see black screens in code, so that's probably the the max. But you know, I do buy and sell, you know, a couple of properties a year, whether it's for friends or family. Like I like to take that on because I think it's important. 
you know, and as CEO of the business, I think you have to understand everything. You know, sometimes I feel like I'll, I'll share things. And then, you know, our real estate agents, when we have our all hands meeting or our loan officers may look at me and like roll their eyes, like, like, that's not, a, that's not the way it goes, <laughs> you know? So going through the flow, I think creates some empathy for me and really understanding the opportunities and also the opportunities to, to share the wins, right? Like, you know, you, you shared that, um, you liked our UX on the app. I agree. I think our UX is really wonderful on our app. It makes it really, really easy. And through time, we found out like, you know, what's a what are what's the most important data that our customers want to see? You know, it's acreage. Of course, it's beds and bath, but they want to see the photos, right? So the photos create this huge gallery. Um, that's what people want, right? And and we spent a lot of time there. For me, that's really important, right? Obviously, I've spent time on the finance and accounting side. Um, fundraising, et cetera. I love marketing. Um, I, I'm not a marketer by any means, but I like to understand and I like to to quantify as much as possible um, any data that we have so that we make better business decisions and ultimately, you know, reduce the cost to acquire a customer and increase the LTV to CAC. I love the mortgage industry. It is such a conundrum to me and it's so crazy how much money there is to be made on the back end. Um, so kind of dabbling in, in that piece, I think is interesting to me. And then obviously the psychology on, you know, buy side real estate and sell side real estate is just fascinating. I mean, it's just so fascinating. Um, and you know, title is also some fun, you know, for, for many, many reasons. So all of it, I would say, <laughs> um, I really do. The business is super personal for me. Um, you know, it, it, it's really, really personal. So I do like to get into the details. Uh, and, uh, the, the UX, like I can't emphasize, I, that's so important to me as a user, uh, you know, I have a, a software development company. So obviously I'm like really big on UX for the, the products that we build in my company, but, uh, the, uh, the UX is so important. Like this, uh, I, I, yeah. I use the Trulia app if I'm just kind of, you know, checking stuff out just to see what's, what's on the market and stuff like that. But, uh, that's a good user experience. Uh, there's this, the MLS locally here is called bright MLS. Mm -hmm. And when the realtors in this area, like when they'll send you out the, you know, the kind of like the, the listing information or, you know, the feed of what's available when they put together the search, the bright MLS email, and then the web interface that it sends you to is so bad. It's like, literally, you know, it's got like tables and frames, <laughs> and, you know, it's like a desktop interface that they just crunched into a mobile interface. And, yeah. You, know, you try to like pinch and zoom and it like breaks the page and it's so bad. It's like so frustrating to try to, to try to like look yeah. at the property that you, that you just got emailed. And uh, I, I don't even know how, I don't know how that hasn't been a priority. Like, I don't know who, yeah. whose decision it's been to just keep that going, but it's, it's ridiculous that, you know, in 2023, it's ridiculous that like that user experience still exists. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that that's what creates opportunity for homie, right? How can we deliver um, one of the most important decisions for a consumer buying, you know, a home uh, in just a delighted and delightful way, right? From the palm of your hand with a professional to guide you every step along the way um, that's just as committed to you to the real estate transaction than you are, right? So, or as you are, I think, I mean, that's why there's opportunity, right? And I think that's why homie is going to thrive and, you know, grow. Cool. Cool. I think uh, this has been a fun episode. Uh, anything else <laughs> that uh, you want to plug or, or close out before we hop off here? No, I'm just grateful for the opportunity to hang out with you. And, and thanks for uh, for reaching out. Thanks for having us. And, you know, for all the listeners, I think, you know, you know, when it doesn't matter if you're looking to you know build something or if you're looking to use a product, you know, understand their why, you know, and for Homie, you know, our, our vision here is to make home ownership easy and affordable for everyone. And that's really, really important. 
Um, it's not a job, you know, especially over the last 12 to 18 months, the homies that are here, leadership team, management team, employees, um, they're here because they believe in what we're building. They believe in um, what what homie has to offer the consumer and it, it's changing lives, you know, and, you know, we have a testimonials page on purpose so that people can see that it's just much more than just building, you know, a prop tech business that'll, you know, grow, et cetera. It's just way, way, way more than, than that. Cash flow.